Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last Sunday we started a series on uh, Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking about singing it, aren't you? And everyone, no. Uh, and it's very true. Father Abraham did have many sons, and we're going to get into that, uh, not today, but in the coming weeks. And last week we saw that Abraham uh, didn't have much going for him. His name actually was Abram when we first meet him, and it will be changed here soon in the narrative. Uh, but he didn't have much going for him. He was an idol-worshipping pagan. In fact, what nationality was Abram? Isn't that a weird question? He was a Chaldean. Uh, he was first of the Hebrews, so that hasn't happened yet. He was a Chaldean. He was an idol-worshipping pagan. Not much going for him. And God saw Abram and chose him. Not because of anything Abram was willing or able to do, but because of who God is. And today we're going to see that um, in spite of Abraham, God's still going to work through this guy. <laughs> so... We begin in uh, chapter 12 of Genesis. If you're new to church world, Genesis is at the very beginning of the book. And uh, if you're new to church world, thank you for coming. Sorry, we're weird sometimes. It's just the way church seems to be. Um, there's no getting around some of it. But uh, we'll do our best to uh, slowly introduce you to all these things. They had been on a long journey, and uh, God said, go to the place that I'll show you. And they got there, and God showed him. But the journey wasn't over. The question that comes to my mind is, should it have been? Should the journey have ended? When we read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, we see these words, Now there was a famine in the land. Imagine following God to the place that he shows you, and when you get there, it doesn't look so good. Anybody ever experienced that? When you finally get there to the land God shows you, you walk through the fields and everything's dried up and brown and dying. When you see the cattle, their, their ribs are showing. Just to get a mental image of this, for me, I was going to spare you this. I googled the word famine and I searched images of famine. I thought about showing you some, but they are so powerful and moving. I knew you wouldn't listen to anything else I had to say. Because famine is devastating. It is devastating to children. And most of the pictures that I saw this morning as I was thinking about showing you these pictures were of kids whose backbones and rib cages and hips, small little arms and legs are, they're skeletons with, with skin stretched over. And that is the image that this word in the ancient world would have brought to mind. 
But when you live in America, in the Disneyland of world history, it's a little difficult to get our head across, around the idea of famine. We think if it's been a little longer for the sermon and the preacher's been going on, we're famished. Because our stomach's growling and he just better hurry on up because I got to get me to lunch. In actuality, many of us could stand probably to go without that meal. These words are powerful, scary words. And when you get to the place that God has been leading you and what you find there is famine. What do you do? I question God even when there's not famine in my life. I question God when there's, when there's not even a question of where the next meal is going to come from. I question God on far more abstract theological concerns than, God, please give me my daily bread. Which we prayed, remember, in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, that's a foregone conclusion. Many of you have already made lunch because it's a potluck. It's already here someplace. Or you'll run home and bring it back. Or you'll go to the store because you forgot and you'll get a bag of chips. But anyway, you work it. Famine's not the issue today. None of us are going to go without. And if you are a person going without, guess what? Nudge your neighbor and say, hey, I need food. They'll probably help you out. But these words, in the ancient world, this is life and death. And not just in the ancient world, but in many parts of Africa and around the world today, this is life or death. And when you get to the land that God has shown you and you find that you are in a life or death situation, that the circumstances are life or death, what do you do? What do you do? (laughs) Do you trust God? Or do you act in self-preservation? What do you think Father Abraham did? What do you think Abraham, the man of faith, how did he handle these circumstances in his life? Well, I guess if we read, we might find out. And Abram went down to Egypt. Oops. You probably don't see that as an oops. That's an oops. That's not the land God showed him. Egypt is not the land God showed him. The land God showed him was up near Shechem. The land God showed him was the land of Canaan. The land God showed him was a land of famine. And I wonder, because Abram has traveled here with a lot of livestock And a lot of children, a lot of women. And I wonder if he started seeing these folks getting a little hungry. Seeing his livestock start to get a little thin. And I wonder if he thought, I've got to act. I've got to do something. And wouldn't you agree with me that this is common sense? You go where there's food? I mean, duh. You go where there's food. I mean, would you put God to the test and stand around and wait for him to show up with some food for you? Maybe there's a taco truck that's going to make its way through Canaan. 
Perhaps there's a falafel truck that's on its way here. Maybe we just need to be patient and God's going to miraculously send us food. But you know, there's no precedent for that yet. There hasn't been the what is it bread incident. The manna. In Hebrew, that just means what is it. So every food pantry that names itself manna, I always get a chuckle out of that. It's like, what is it? I don't know. It's food pantry. It's the manna. That hasn't happened yet. There's no precedent for God just miraculously sending food to anybody yet. You know, when we get a little low on supplies at our house, we head to the general store. We head off to the store. And for a while there, it was a little sketchy what you'd get at the general store here in Ray, wasn't it? So we travel a little further to the general store. A general store up the road, they saw the opportunity. They started delivering food to our food desert. They saw it as an opportunity to, to make some money because, you know, 30 minutes to drive for food was a little too taxing, a little too far. So we'll send it to you and bring it to your house. And they haven't stopped for some. We were far from famine, but some of us got a little nervous. Some of us got a little concerned because uh, the grocery store shelves were a little bare. That's nothing like this famine. And when famine strikes your life, don't you just, you know, use common sense and go where there's food? What's wrong with that? What's the problem with that? Didn't God give you a brain? Why is this wrong for Abram to go? Well, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because like good literature, it doesn't tell us. <laughs> it doesn't give us many answers. Like good literature, it wants you to think and wrestle and wonder, was it okay? Was it wrong for him to go? God told him to go to the land he would show him and stay there. And, and then he, the next thing we know, he's going down to Egypt. It doesn't give any commentary. And in fact, when you read through the whole story, it all worked out pretty good. So is this wrong? Maybe if we keep reading, we'll find out more. He was going to go down to Egypt and live there for a while. Or some translations say as an alien. Or as an illegal immigrant. He was going to go. He wasn't planning on staying there for a long time. He was just going because Egypt was the land of opportunity. Egypt was the land that had food for his starving family. He's going to go for a while because the famine was severe. Now, Egypt wasn't subject to famines. Why? This is the interactive part of the sermon. The Nile River. It wasn't subject to famine because of the Nile. And the Nile provided plenty of water. In fact, too much water sometimes. But they had water. Canaan doesn't have that. Canaan relies on rainfall. Circle irrigation wasn't in existence yet. So when they dug a well, it was drinking water. It wasn't for watering crops. What do you do when God does not send rain? And there's famine in the land. <laughs> you move. You go to where there's the Nile. Now see what happens when they start approaching the Nile. It's very interesting when they start their way to Egypt. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, now think about it. You're an illegal immigrant. 
You've come from the land of Chaldees. You know nothing about Egypt. You don't speak the language. You've just heard stories. You haven't even seen pictures. There's no YouTube video. You've heard stories. And you go. Would you be a little afraid? Would you be a little concerned for your safety, for the well-being of your family? Let's see what Abram thinks. They're about to enter Egypt. He said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are at 65, by the way. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. That's a weird story. Has anybody ever been tempted to do this? Ever? Anyone? No? Nobody? Anybody ever thought, you know, my wife's so gorgeous. Now, guys, be careful how you answer this. My wife is so gorgeous. If I go to Kansas, they'll kill me and take her. If I go to Canada, they'll kill me and take her. I'll go to Mexico. They'll kill me and take her. I go to... That's not a really pressing concern in modern civilization. And the text doesn't tell us why Abram thinks that. It doesn't. Maybe he heard a weird rumor floating around. You know... When you go to Egypt, they kill you and take your wife. Oh, really? Wow. I'll stay away from there. It doesn't tell us anything. It just says Abram's afraid. Do you make good choices when you're afraid? Do you make good decisions when you're afraid? And by the way, this whole thing is predicated on fear. He's afraid that everybody's going to starve to death if they stay in the land God showed him to stay in. So decision number one, go to Egypt out of fear. Decision number two, they're going to kill me, which is the same problem I had if I stayed. I'd die of starvation. Let's come up with a solution. So Abram is making decisions out of fear. Anybody ever make decisions out of fear? If you watch TV, you make decisions out of fear. If you watch the doctor's, You make decisions out of fear. If you listen to Dr. Oz, you make decisions out of fear. If you watch Dr. Phil, you make decisions out of fear. Oprah, you probably make some decisions out of fear. Read the newspaper, you probably make some decisions out of fear. Hang out with your banker much, make decisions out of fear. Talk to your accountant occasionally, you probably make decisions out of fear. Talk to your spouse, you've probably made a decision. Have children... You probably make some decisions out of fear. No, no, those aren't fearful. Those are common sense, Steve. That's being smart. That's being strategic. That's being cautious. That's being wise. That's not fear. Okay, you can sit in that for a bit. Abram has made a couple decisions out of fear. We would label them. Abram would probably label them. I'm just being smart. 
I'm just being logical. I'm just doing the right thing. I'm just looking out for myself and my family. Let's see what happens to Sarai. When Abram came to Egypt, (laughs) it's weird, it happens. Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. Dude, you got to check this gal out. Weird story. If you've read this, like probably the 12th day of January every year for the last several years. And you didn't go, weird story. You didn't think about this at all. You just kind of. It's the 12th of January, and doggone it, this is the year I read through the Bible. I'm just going to get this done. You see, that's why when you start reading the Bible and you get stuck, part of the reason you get stuck is because your brain is going, wait, think about this. This is really, really weird. Don't just keep, stop reading now. Think about this. No, the goal is to read it. That is the goal. Not to think about it. To read it. Let's think about it. Pharaoh's officials are bragging up a 65-year-old woman to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He, she was taken into his palace. Now, the Bible does not tell us what happened in his palace. But do you know what happens when Pharaoh takes women as his wife into his palace? That relationship gets consummated. The Bible doesn't say for sure. But I think it is very good exegesis to infer, to imply. I think the author is implying That Pharaoh had relations. That Pharaoh slept with Sarai. When I read that this week in a commentary, I kind of got the feeling. Anybody got the feeling? And then I kind of was like, Abram, you are an idiot feeling. To put your wife at risk like this? Hey, man. Say that you're my sister because I don't want to lose my neck. I'm okay with losing you, but I ain't going to lose my neck. (laughs) Women, does that just endear your heart to your spouse? (laughs) You know, this bothered ancient Jews as well. They wrote a book called the Genesis Apocryphon. It's a 50 cent word. You'll be quizzed on it when you get to the pearly gates. Anyways, the Apocryphon was one of the first writings in the Dead Sea Scrolls that we unearthed, that we found. And the Genesis Apocryphon, what it does is it removes Abram's warts. It's like magic wart remover. And it basically takes this story. It's probably the first commentary that was ever written on the book of Genesis. And he basically says, oh, well, Abram had a dream. And that's why he went to Egypt, because he had a dream. And then in the dream, he saw... This big oak tree being pulled up by the roots. And then uh, in the dream, there was a palm tree that saved the oak tree. It gets really weird. That's the point. 
of why I'm telling the story that way. Because the story gets really weird because you can't remove this wart. And it bothered the ancient Jews. It bothers the Hebrews that Abram would do this sort of thing. Because he is the man of faith. He's not acting like it. He's fear-based right now. Sarai is taken into his palace. Pharaoh treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. He lost his wife, but he got a bunch of other stuff. Sadly, many people in our culture make that trade. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. (laughs) You know, if you ever get a serious disease, might be God's trying to teach you something. Might be. Not always. Might be. The reason I say it might be because here it is. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Now, isn't it weird that he knows? How does he know? Angel appears. I don't know what happened. It doesn't tell us. Why didn't you tell me? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now, then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. He leaves with Sarai. He leaves with all the stuff he acquired. Turns out pretty good for Abram, wouldn't you say? Yes, no. I mean, he gets, he gets richer through the deal. He has a lot more stuff. Sarai had a bad experience, but every, other than that, things are clipping along pretty good. Now, one of the things that I wrestle with is the idea that no matter what we do, God is going to make sure his promises are fulfilled. Because that's one of the lessons in this. No matter what we do, God's going to make sure that his promises are fulfilled. But that doesn't sit well with me at some level in this story. Because part of me is thinking, well, then why bother listening to sermons like this if it all turns out okay in the end? I can do whatever I want, but God's going to make sure things turn out okay in my favor. If that's his plan for me, you might have met a Calvinist like this before. If you don't know what a Calvinist is, it's not people named Calvin. Uh, The first one was. Maybe you've found people who are fatalists and they just think, hey, it's all going to work out in the end. So eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die if that's what God wants for us. And this lesson at some level might teach that to some of you. You might walk away and go, well, it's all going to turn out for good in the end. So I'll do whatever. In fact, Philippians 1.16 is a verse that uh, or 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he is Jesus in, the, in this passage, that Jesus who began a good work for you, or God who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it's a promise of God that God will make sure that the work he has started in your life, he will carry on to completion. 
And that would be an easy verse to just claim and say, thank you, amen, Jesus. I'm going to just do whatever I want. Because you're going to get her done. Just going to make it happen. But I want you to think about what economists call opportunity costs in Abram's life. Do you know what opportunity costs are? Opportunity costs are the difference between uh, the opportunity, the best choice you could have made in a situation, and the second best or lesser choices that you actually made. So, for instance, if you go to college for four years, there's an opportunity cost because you could have had a job those four years and you could have made money all those years. Instead, you went to college and paid somebody. But the idea is that after college, you'll make up for it because you'll get a higher paying job in theory. (laughs) Not all of us worked out that way, right? But we were willing to forgo the opportunity costs. Abraham, Abram in this story... The opportunity cost was what? Had he stayed in Canaan, do you think God would have made sure he was fed? Really? I'm not convinced with that. Uh, Yes. How about if it was you? Would God make sure you were fed? In Canaan? Or Yuma? Or pick your choice. Would God make sure you were fed? Would God make sure Abram was fed? I think the answer is yes. Because God has promised something to Abram. I will make you into a great nation. Can't do that if the dude is dead. Well, actually, he's God. Probably could have figured out a way. But as far as Abram's concerned, I got to stay alive to make this thing happen. If Abram has stayed in Canaan, my guess is God would have made sure he was fed. If Sarai didn't end up sleeping with Pharaoh, maybe Isaac comes along faster. Because one of the problems you have now is if she has a kid in nine months or so, the question is, what? Who's the daddy? This is Jerry Springer territory. (laughs) And they don't have paternity tests just yet. So the whole thing is delayed. It has to be delayed. It has to be delayed because no, God does not want anyone to think this is Pharaoh's kid. It has to be stopped. It has to be delayed. You know, some of those things that you've been trusting God for. Do you ever think maybe your sin is delaying it? Some of those things that you're trusting. Oh, God, just make this. Please do this. Make this happen. Sometimes your disobedience is delaying it. Many people ask me, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life, man? And they're talking about this individual little will that God has for them. I'm like, well, I don't know what God's will for your life is in that individual narrow sliver kind of way. But I know his revealed will for your life. And his revealed will for your life is that you would repent of your sins, that you would love your enemy, that you would love your neighbor as yourself, that you would love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How are you doing on those? I just want to know God's will for my life. I don't want to do that hard stuff. What's God's will for me? You know, he may not make his will for your life known just yet because you ain't doing the other things. You're delaying God's working in your life. You're delaying God's blessing in your life because of your disobedience, because of your lack of faith. 
Now, when I, by the way, when I say faith, I don't mean magic formula stuff. I mean faith like sticking in the land God has you to be in. I mean obeying God. Because when we obey God, that's how we demonstrate faith. You know how my kids demonstrate that they love me? When they do what I tell them to do. I feel a lot of love then. When they don't do that, I feel a lot of hate sometimes. Right? Don't you get frustrated? Not hate. That's sometimes. It's borderline. It's a little crazy. That's why we have communion every week. (laughs) We show our love for God. We show our faith in him by obeying. You know, God's going to make sure that this guy gets what he's promised. Not because of Abraham. Even though Abraham fails God, God will not fail him. And really, that's the takeaway for you and me. Even though we may fail God, God will not fail us. Even though you will fail God, God will not fail you. But just think of the opportunities you're missing out on. Just think of the opportunities when you fail, God, what you're missing out on. Now, I don't say that to guilt you or make you feel bad. I just say that to get you thinking. Have you ever thought, boy, if I would have known that sooner. If I could go back in a time machine to high school and do that again. If I could go back and fix that. If I could go and do that over, anybody ever feel that way? Anyone? Nobody. Just me. Wow, that is weird. I feel that regularly. That's called opportunity cost. That's called missed opportunities. And every single one of us can point to something in our life, both big and small, and say, I wish I had a do-over. Now, here's the amazing thing. If you follow Jesus Christ, you get a do-over. You do. But here's the bummer thing of how Jesus structured life. The consequences continue. He won't spare us the consequences of our choices. He will let them play out through our lives. Guess what? This will play out in Abram's life. Here's a, here's a hint. He does it again. <laughs> Clues are bouncing off the guy's head, okay? He does it again. Guess what? His son, Isaac, he does it too. God said something about the sins of the father. We'll go on into third and fourth generations. But the blessings of God will go on through the generations for a thousand generations. This sin will continue on in this line. And there will be ramifications. Because guess what? The next time it happens, the Bible doesn't say what happened to her. But there's enough suspense to wonder Who's the daddy? And the whole thing gets delayed again. After Sunday school, I want to switch gears just briefly. 
we're going to have a potluck. And we're going to be talking about something absolutely crazy and saying, building a new building. <laughs> right? That's absolutely crazy and saying. But we have an opportunity as a congregation, as a body of believers, as the followers of Jesus, to try to follow what we sense is God's leading, his calling, his, his, his guidance in our lives. Or we can act in fear. And can I really be honest with you for just a moment? Because I haven't been the whole rest of the sermon, but this one moment. (laughs) I'm a little scared. I never once pictured myself as a pastor leading a church to build anything. (laughs) Maybe like a new stage or something. I never pictured myself being anybody... Who would do much anything like that? And if I ever pictured it, guess where I pictured it happening? In the suburbs where there's lots of unchurched people and doctors and lawyers and such and money growing on trees. And that's what happens in the neighborhood I grew up in. There was money growing on a tree, but I digress. There's part of me that's very scared. There's part of me that hears about all the economy things going on and all of the future concerns and all this stuff. And I'm like, how stupid are we? How stupid am I? This isn't even common sense. But imagine. Imagine if we say no. Imagine if we don't get her done. Imagine the opportunity cost of that decision. Imagine Ray, Colorado, without this building that somebody decided in the mid-40s to build. Imagine Ray, Colorado, without First Christian Church that some group of folks decided to found in 1905. Imagine if this place didn't, wasn't here. And the opportunity costs, the loss... I believe that God wants to see us continue our ministry. And I believe that he wants us to continue to grow our ministry because there are things that are hamstringing ministry here that most of us don't even see or understand on a regular basis. But if you talk to somebody who's new to our church, who's been new to town, or if you talk to somebody and they go, wow, this is a little different here. We don't know why it is this way. Why don't you guys have an entryway, a lobby? That's weird. How come you have, uh, when I do weddings for people that don't come to our church regularly and they go, wow, that's strange. Why is it set up this way? And I'm like, because we have lots of people coming on Sundays. They don't get excited about that. They're like, well, that just looks weird. And I'm like, I don't care because Sunday's more important than your wedding. I mean, your wedding's pretty important, but Sunday is really important. People coming to hear about Christ. And we can make things better. We have an opportunity to follow God. So we're on a path. And we are at a crossroads. Faith or fear. And guess what? Here's the cool thing. If we don't get it right, 
there's another crossroads down the road. And guess what that crossroads is called? Faith or fear. And if that generation doesn't get right, there's another crossroads. And guess what that one's called? Yeah, you're getting it. Faith or fear. Which path will we choose? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Father Abraham that uh, he didn't have it all figured out. And yet you used him in mighty ways. You brought forth the Jewish people and the Christian faith. And ultimately you brought through his line, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord, we thank you for this bad example here. (laughs) That you left it in, that you didn't airbrush it, that you didn't make the hero of the faith bigger and better than he really was. Forgive us when we show up at church bigger and better than we, we really are. Forgive us when we walk around town and we look bigger and better than we really are. Help us to be transparent and honest and open about who we are. And Lord, I pray that we would not make decisions based out of fear, but we would base our decisions on faith. We pray that our decisions would not be based on our circumstances, but they would be based on our convictions. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you kick fear to the curb and live in faith. Amen.